We're going to be in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Been wanting to bring more of Jesus into our church services, especially on Sunday morning. More of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4. The service has already been a blessing. Love that song. You know, I'd never heard that song before I came here. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. We sang it, uh, it was the choir singing that. Yeah, it's a good one. It's still somebody singing about Calvary and about the blood. Amen. Amen. Um, that's a good one. And we've heard several people say now that they want to get the choir back together. And uh, Beth said we need to get the band back together. And so um, you pray about that. I think we ought to, you know, and the church really likes that. So you pray about that. Um, I want to say this morning that the church is under attack. <laughs> the church is under attack. But the attack that I'm talking about is not coming from rich tycoons or from the leftist agenda or liberal lobbyists, Black Lives Matter and woke and so on. Uh, the attack I'm talking about is found in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to begin reading there for just a moment. But the moment that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you became a target for your enemy, the devil. And he, he is seeking your downfall and your ruin. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. This is just after his baptism. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came, that's the old devil. The Bible calls him your enemy. When the tempter came to him, he said, If, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written. Whenever the devil comes to attack this church, and by that I mean the members of this church, he will come bringing doubt. He'll come with a little two-letter word, if, if. He puts a question mark where God put a period. If thou be the Son of God, Command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written. And what should be our response to the devil when he comes knocking on the door? You heard it. It is written. And you know what that is? That's basically just saying, Jesus, will you get the door? You know? We, we've heard that. We know that, right? Don't forget. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God doth man live, he says. Well, he's quoting scripture there. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If, you see it there again, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written. And he quotes scripture back to him. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it is 
written. It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give unto thee, give to thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship. If thou wilt fall down and worship. He was wanting Jesus to get something that he rightfully deserved, but to get it in the wrong way and at the wrong time. And he said, if, if you'll do something that's wrong, then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. And that's the final blow. You see, Jesus uses the word of God because we know from our perspective, we know Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is what? Quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It's a weapon. You say, how do you get that? Well, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, he said, take unto you the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and use it. Use it to draw blood. Use it in a fight. (laughs) We are under attack, and our attack is a spiritual attack, and we need to be armed with the Word of God to be able to defend ourselves. What I'm saying is to take up arms. Jesus is the supreme example of all of this, so my aim with this message is to train our church members to defend themselves against enemy attacks because they're coming. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for your help this morning. We thank you for the Word of God, that it's sufficient. We thank you that it's inspired. God, that we can uh, build our lives on the Word of God, that it is also a sword that will protect us. We can defend ourselves and fight back when we're attacked by the enemy. I pray, Father, that you put a hedge of protection about this church. Protect us from our enemy, the devil, who is seeking the demise of each and every one of us, Lord, and is going to attack me, maybe the hardest. There's, there's pastors falling all over the country. And God, I pray that you'd help me not to be one of them, but to stand. I pray, Father, that you'd help our church. Every member in here is just as important, just as important to you and to the cause of the gospel and to your plan, your program for the ages. And I pray, Father, you'd put a hedge of protection, a thorny hedge to keep the devil out And teach us, Lord, teach us to use our sword to defend ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. I was in a tent meeting on Thursday, and uh, I was asked to come on Thursday morning to preach with evangelist Mark Rogers, which I didn't know he was there. Uh, I mean, I knew he was there, but I didn't know he was going to preach. But I got to share a meeting with him, and I'm glad I didn't know because I probably would have been so nervous I wouldn't have been able to keep myself together He's, uh, he's uh, been in evangelism for over 30 years, crisscrossing the country. He's booked up for two, three years ahead of time. If you wanted to get a meeting with him, you'd be talking 2025 probably before you could get a meeting with him. And their, their family sings together. I just, I've always looked up to this brother, and he's always been a great help to me. I usually see him every one, once a year, maybe twice, uh, once every two years. I'd see this guy, and he's always been a blessing to me, an encouragement to me. And there's been times when I wanted to quit the ministry as an assistant and a youth pastor, and it, God used his sermons and his, his uh, encouragement. Uh, he's used it to keep me going. And I was asked to come and to, to sing and to preach. 
And during his message, he gave this illustration that he was preaching in a church um, and he was alone in the building before the meeting or after, I don't know which, and he saw on the wall a sword. It was hanging on the wall and there was a plaque underneath it and it had Ephesians 6, take unto you the sword of the Spirit. So he was looking at this sword and he thought to himself, I wonder what that feels like in my hand. So he's like, I, I just can't, couldn't help myself. I wanted to pick it up and just to, you know, to play with it, you know. And he said, but then I just thought any minute probably somebody's going to walk in and they're going to see the evangelist messing around with the stuff in their church and stuff. So he said, I didn't pick it up, but he took his finger and he ran his finger across the edge of the blade to see if it was sharp. <laughs> but it wasn't. He said, he said it was dull as a butter knife. So in other words, that sword was just up on the wall for decoration. It wasn't for defense. It was for decoration. And I wonder if a lot of us look at our Bibles like that. Like they're just a decoration. I know in some homes that I, uh, I'm not talking about anybody's homes in Racine, okay? Some homes I've been in in the past, years ago. You go into their home and, and their Bible is kind of neatly placed somewhere. And it's a nice home, nice decorations in the home and things like that. But the Bible is neatly placed somewhere in sight for somebody who's visiting. In some homes, you can tell that a Bible is sitting by uh, maybe a recliner or, or a, a spot. You can tell that that's probably where they read and do their devotions. Uh, sometimes a Bible is, is up on a shelf. But I wonder if we look at our Bible like it's a decoration. Now, you might even carry your Bible to church week after week, and that's good. I, this is the kind of church where you come in church and you're carrying your Bible. You need your Bible in this church. Amen? Lord, help us. Lord, protect us from the church that puts the Scripture up on the screen so that nobody carries their Bible to church anymore. What is that but the devil disarming God's people? You're called to be a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a soldier without his weapon. My goodness, do you know what would happen to me in the infantry if I was caught without my weapon? You know what would happen if I left my, my uh, M4 leaning up against a tree and then I went off somewhere else? If the sergeant found me like that, my goodness, I would have a bad day. That's to say the least. You know what they'd do to guys like that? They'd put 550 cord through a loop in their jacket and make them walk around, not with an M4 because obviously they can't handle that. Make them walk around with a big 2x4 everywhere they went. Chow hall, PT, everything. Walk around with a two-by-four. Because they lost their weapon. God help us. When you walk into church, you ought to have this Bible. You say, why? So you learn how to use it. You never, you'll never get to know this book if you're not in it. If you're not in a church that says, take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. You're, you'll never get to know the book if you're not in the book. Amen. And so... We need to know how to use this, use this thing for self-defense. I'm going to talk about several attacks that you can expect, and especially as a brand new Christian, several attacks that you can expect. And the first attack, remember, remember I said it, it comes in the form of an if, a doubt. Here's the first attack. Am I really saved? Can it really be that simple? That's what's going to happen as a Christian. 
the devil's going to put that doubt into your mind. Maybe you're not even saved. Okay, what are you going to do? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 10, verse 13. What are you going to do? You have to say, it is written. And you know what I'm talking about, folks? I'm talking about saying out loud, just like Jesus did, it is written. Or you could say, the Bible says, or Jesus said. And say to the devil, give him a verse when he comes knocking on your door. I'm telling you, that's what Jesus showed us that we ought to do. That's what we need to learn to do as God's people. And today, you can take something and mark these verses in your Bible so that you have them, and then they need to be put to memory. So, am I really saved? Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. We're all familiar with this, but just so you have it marked in your Bible as a verse that you should memorize. Sometimes I put like a half, like a fingernail shape beside my verses, a half circle, and that makes them stand out on the page. You might underline them or highlight them. I don't know what you do. But you ought to mark your Bible up so that you learn how to use the sword of the Spirit. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says this, And who's, for whosoever, are you a whosoever? Amen. All right, so am I. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? shall be saved. Not might, not maybe. God's word says if you call on the name of the Lord, according to verses 9 and 10, if you call on the Lord in that way, you will, shall means definite, you will be saved. All right, that's God's word. You can take that, quote that verse out loud. Because listen, when those doubts come in your mind, you're under attack. You need to recognize this. Quote that verse out loud to the devil and watch what God will do. Take God at his word. Listen, this verse, somebody said, is what causes a panic in hell and a party in heaven. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God either told the truth here or he didn't. God either told the truth or he lied. If you call on his name, according to verses 9 and 10, then that saves you whether you know it or not. That saves you whether you're doubting it or not. If it doesn't save you once you call upon the name of the Lord, according to verses 9 and 10, listen, then God's word is not true. And God lied. And I speak that foolishly as a man because God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said it and, and will he not do it? Right? If someone told you that salvation is not that simple, then they might be used by the devil to tempt you in this way and to attack you. Listen, then one or the other is lying. And do we have to really guess which one it is? This is the first attack that comes. I remember as a brand new believer, over time, this attack came. And I wondered, am I really saved? Can it really be that simple. And I believe that, that, that every believer uh, is tried in this way at one time or another. So if that happens, uh, it's not unusual. All right, attack number two. If I'm really saved, then why do I still sin? You ever thought that? If I'm really saved, then how could I have done those things? 
Or when I was praying, I thought a dirty thought. I must not be a Christian. And the devil attacks and says, if you were really saved, you wouldn't be living like this. You wouldn't be struggling this way. He'll even use scripture, just like he did with Jesus. He'll use scripture. And he'll say, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Not for you. He'll use scripture against you. What are you going to do when you're attacked? Well, you say, it is written. Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. It is written. And you quote it out loud to the devil. When you're tempted, this is a way that you rebuke the devil. And you resist him with the sword of the Spirit. And if you do, as we saw it happen with Jesus, eventually the devil will flee from you. He'll flee from you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, James said. So look at Romans chapter 7, verse 15. If I'm a Christian, why do I still sin? It's because you have two natures. Your old, sinful, carnal, fallen nature was not eradicated the moment that you got saved. It's still very much active. But now you have a new nature, a new nature that wants to live unto God. Your spirit has been born again. You're in communion and connection with God now. Verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. You see that? Look at verse 20. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. You see that? I delight after the law of God, after the inward man. There's a new nature that wants to do right. And then Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. So when the devil comes and says, you're not a Christian, you're not really saved, you're still sinning and you're still a sinner. And you can say, it is written, and quote some of this stuff back to him. This is Paul writing after being saved for years. After being saved for years, he still said, when I would do good, then I end up doing bad. (laughs) The good that I would do, I do not. But the evil, which I would not, that I do. You might quote this, or you might quote something from 1 John chapter 1. Pick one of them out. And have it ready. This is Paul saying, after being saved for years, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, as a born-again, regenerated, wild man for Jesus Christ. (laughs) Wonderful evangelist and church starter. He said, I'm a wretched man. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And the answer is, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When the devil comes to you and says, uh, you... You're, you're a sinner and you must not be saved or you've lost your salvation. You can say, listen, devil, you're right. I am a sinner. I'm a wretched man. I go about knowing what is right and wanting to do good. And, and the good that I would do, I do not. And that which I would not do, that do I. It's not me, but it's sin that is in me. So, yeah, I'm a wretched man, but... Jesus. But Jesus, that's what changes everything. I am a sinner saved by grace. I have two natures. And I don't deserve to go to heaven. But Jesus, right? 
I don't deserve to go to heaven, but Jesus. I'm not good enough to go to heaven, but Jesus. I could uh, never do enough good to outweigh the bad that I've done, but Jesus died for me, and his blood has washed away my sins. Now, yes, I have news for you. Christians sin. Listen, brother and sister, Christians sin every day. You sinned against God this last week in thought, word, and in deed. The Christian life is a daily life of continual repentance. Every day we repent, confess our sins, and draw close to Jesus Christ and trust in his shed blood, trust in Calvary. Every day. That's the Christian life. Will you ever get to sinless perfection? No. But listen, there's things that we're struggling with that the Lord helps us to get over. It doesn't, Paul said, sin not. Awake to righteousness and sin not, right? So it doesn't give us a license. But when that doubt comes, you need to have scripture and understand that you have two natures. Attack number three. I feel like I've lost my salvation. I feel like I've lost my salvation. Well, turn to John chapter 5, verse 24. John chapter 5, verse 24. When that doubt comes, you need to understand that you're under attack. That is a spiritual attack. We're not supposed to trust our feelings anyhow. You need to understand the facts of the Word of God and take God at His Word and quote this back to the devil when you're tempted and you feel that you've lost your salvation. Look at John chapter 5 and verse 24. It's not your salvation to lose. John chapter 5 and verse 24. You can quote back to the devil this. Say, uh, Jesus said, out loud, and quote this verse. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word. Now imagine Jesus preaching somewhere out in the open, maybe preaching on a boat to a bunch of people on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I don't know. But imagine him saying, those of you listening to me, if you hear my word and you believe on him that sent me, you believe that my father sent me for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you believe that, you hear my word and you believe, what do you have? Everlasting life. If you believe on him, that's to trust on him, to depend on him for, for eternal life and forgiveness of sins. You have, not you're going to get we got to read the Word of God and understand what it's saying. It's plain. Anybody can understand it. You have eternal life right now. And then guess what? You won't come into condemnation. There's no condemnation to those which trust in Jesus Christ. Condemnation means to be this building is condemned and it's going to be torn down. Well, you're not condemned. You've passed from death unto life. You're born again. You were spiritually dead, now you are living. And i got news for you, you and I, we can't do that. That is a supernatural miracle, work of God, to pass from death unto life. You quote that, that's a powerful verse. I don't think, for me, now I doubted my salvation at one time. I mean, I really struggled with it. I'm going to tell you personally why I did. But for me, nothing is more comforting than the words of Jesus. I mean, I know it's all the Bible, it's all inspired, but the actual words that came out of Jesus' mouth, 
that's what really gave me assurance. Because I felt like I had lost my salvation. I was tempted with that. And let me tell you, when a person feels like they've lost their salvation, I'm not trying to hurt you, trying to help, but it's because you're living in sin. You're walking in the flesh. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to walk in the Spirit so that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So because there's personal sin in your life, unconfessed, unrepentant sin, that you, you, uh, you like it. It's your little pet sin that you're keeping. Uh, if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us, right? To regard means you want to you hold on to it. You've got to repent of it, let it go. When you, when you get thoroughly right with God and get back to the Bible, quote this scripture to the devil, you know what he'll do in return? He'll give you that assurance. If you never lapsed into sin and disobedience, you wouldn't have lost your assurance. But what do you do the moment that you're attacked? You take that sword of the Spirit and you attack. Have some fight in you now. What, uh, what about... What about attack number four? Don't I have to do my part to finally be saved? Look at Philippians chapter 3 with me, please. Philippians is Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Four little books there that come right after uh, Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You've got three big books, and then you have four little ones. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Again, our, our Bibles, they're not for decoration. They're for self-defense. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Just yesterday, I was mowing the grass, push mowing, <laughs> and uh, trying to sweat out some calories. Amen. And uh, been eating a lot of donuts. Somebody left me donuts in there. Man, those things are good. I don't know why donut holes are better than donuts, but I think that they are. Maybe you feel like, I'm just eating a donut hole. It's not a whole donut. It tastes so good. And uh, I'm out mowing, you know, yesterday, and an attack came. <laughs> and you know what I did? Nobody could hear me. <laughs> Mower's going and everything like that, but the devil could hear me. And I said, it is written out loud. And I quoted the verse that I need to handle that attack. And you know what? After a while, he fled from me. And I went on praying and enjoying my lawn mowing. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9 says here, When you think, don't I have to do my part? God does his part and I have to do my part. Is that what the Bible says? Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, And be found in him. This is Paul now, after his whole life of service. He said, when I die, I want to be found in Christ, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith now you've got to study Paul to understand what he's talking about there he's talking about the imputed righteousness we've talked about it so many times the imputed righteousness that's put that's put on your account to be imputed is like to be charged with something on your account God God emptied your account of all your sin debt and he put on your account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Paul said, that's what's going to get me into heaven. Not my own righteousness. It won't help. 
When I'm found in him, I want to be found with that righteousness, which comes by what? Faith. Not works. Faith. Faith. I gave that to a man who just, he just would not stop talking about, uh, listen, I know God forgives us, but if you think you can just go out there and sin and do whatever you want and still go to heaven? Just kept going on like that. That's an attack from the devil, and he's using a man. And I don't want to say, get thee behind me, Satan, to the guy, but that's what's happening. And I took him to this verse, and it finally shut his mouth. Paul, Paul of all people, said, I want to, he suffered for the gospel. He, he, his head was lopped off for the gospel. Any of you willing to do that? You willing to go preach to the Mohammedans? Stand up in the middle of uh, one of them Muslim countries in a village and say, Muhammad's a false prophet? Have somebody cut your head off for it? Paul was willing to do it for Jesus. That kind of righteousness. Mecca is what I was trying to think of. Go to the middle of Mecca and stand up and say, Muhammad's a false prophet. Paul went and preached everywhere. He would do that. But he said, when I get to the end of my life, it's not my own righteousness. It's the righteousness which comes by faith. And remember what he said in Romans 7, I'm a wretched man. At the end of living for Christ for 30 plus years, good that I would do, I do not. And that which I would not, I do. It's not me, it's sin that dwelleth in me. You see. Tack number five. I'm tempted with lust. Would you turn to Job 31? And again, I, I recommend that you mark these verses in your Bible. Otherwise, you're just hearing another sermon. You're just hearing another sermon. You're going to forget uh, like 90% of what you hear this morning. Maybe more. You'll forget it. Uh, Job 31.1. Job, it's uh, the first of the poetry books. It's right before Psalms. Job 31. So basically, if you split your Bible in the middle and then go to the left, you'll hit Job. And, you know, when I, when I went into the, the military, I saw, uh, saw the commercials and I saw them shooting stuff and blowing stuff up. Helicopters flying around, guys rappelling out of helicopters and jumping out of airplanes and stuff like that. And uh, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do stuff like that. But you know what? I'm just a kid, just a, a zero, just running the block, you know, in small town America. And I don't know the first thing about, you know, firing expert with a military rifle. Didn't know the first thing about that. Didn't know the first thing about trying to keep my my barrel pointing downrange when I'm moving from one place of cover to another place of cover. Didn't know the first thing about how to take apart, strip, and field strip, and clean a, a weapon. I mean, I called it a gun when I got in there. They said, soldier, it's not a gun. It's a, it's a weapon that you have in your hands. You're not going squirrel hunting. That's a weapon, you know. Didn't know the first thing about it. You know, but they taught us how to take apart a weapon, clean them, Memorized all the dimensions and specs on it and everything like that. And then taught us how to use enemy weapons. Amen? And you learned how to fire expert with them. Or else you were a dirtbag. So you learned how to fire expert with them. you got to know your weapon. Well, you got to know this. you got to know where to find this verse. 
When you're tempted with lust, that is, when you're tempted to look at somebody of either the opposite sex or the same sex these days, and you're tempted to look on them with lust, you need to understand that that is an attack. And you need to come back with what Job said. This is what I used. Job 31.1 I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? When that attack comes. I, uh, you've heard me tell these stories. But when I was in Bible college, I worked... Uh, in beach houses down on Pensacola Beach. That's like beautiful white sandy beaches and stuff. Um, And uh, driving down there every day, man, I'm a young man trying to live right for the Lord. Uh, And some some of those months, man, there are people all over the place, women walking around half naked because they're half crazy, don't have any sense, walking and just driving through there. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm trying to do right. I want to do right. So to look one time and see him there, well, there's a pedestrian. I don't want to, you know, if they're crossing the road, don't want to hit them. To look one time is not a sin. But I mean to look and then to take a second look and really check them out. That's a sin. That's to look with lust. And I had to make a covenant with my eyes. And whenever I was tempted to do that, I'd think about that verse. The Holy Spirit would bring it to my memory. That's the thing. He'll do that. He'll bring things to mind for you so that you can quote them. And I would quote, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? In this culture, it's, so, it's just saturated with sex and perversion. And uh, we spend time just watching it on television, and it dulls our senses, and just kinda, we just kind of get passive about it to where it's no big deal. Well, guys, listen, if you're sitting there watching these Grey's Anatomy, and I don't think you'd watch that, but watching some of these other things, uh, whatever the newest thing is, and they got naked women running around and going into the strip houses and women dressing and showing off, you know, what uh, God gave them to be a blessing to, the, to their husbands. Uh, you watch that, and it won't be too long before sometime you're sitting alone with your cell phone, sitting alone on your computer, and you think about visiting another site on your computer you know you shouldn't go to. And when that happens, that's an attack. And it doesn't just happen with men, but I won't go there. But you say, you say to the devil, I made a covenant with mine eyes. I made a promise to God that I wouldn't do it. I won't look with lust. Attack number six. Attack number six. I've always heard that I should follow my heart. All right, Jeremiah 17. So go to the right. You'll get out of the poetry books and you'll get into the major prophets. Go to the right. You'll hit Isaiah and then Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is you need to make a covenant with the Lord. And then memorize that verse. And when you're tempted, because you will be, the culture we live in, you'll be tempted. You quote that verse. You bring scripture into it. And I, I, I suggest that if you have a real problem with impurity, that you have Christian music going all the time. Christian music going all the time. Read your Bible every day. Amen? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Somebody says, I always heard that I should follow my heart. Well, what does Jeremiah 17, 9 say? When somebody says that to you, you quote this to them because they're being used of the devil to tempt you. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
Now, you know what Jesus said? He said, out of the heart proceed all these devilish things. <laughs> he said that the, the, the wicked things that men do comes from the heart. Beth and I, uh, we were, the kids were reading this little book by the Buzz Lightyear book. The devil is using Buzz Light, Lightyear like, that's, it's, his, it's his apostle right now, the children. So, uh, the little Buzz Lightyear book, and the kids like it and been reading it, and Beth picked it up, and, and uh, she showed me what was in there. And it's all talking about how you just need to follow your heart, and you have an inner light, and you just need to, you know, do what you really want to do. Folks, that's devilish. That's satanic. Uh, that stuff is out there all over the place. And maybe there was a time when you told somebody, just follow your heart. No, 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 no. No, that's, that's not right. Jeremiah 17, 9. When the devil tells you, follow your heart, and you're tempted to do something that you just kind of have a bad conscience about, don't follow your heart. That's a bad thing to do. Give Jesus your heart. If you love him more than you love anything else, I'm not worried about any decision you make. And, and, and you shouldn't be worried about me. If I love the Lord more than I love anything else, God doesn't have to worry about the decisions I'm making. You know? And uh, my wife doesn't have to worry about the decisions I'm making. Don't, don't follow your heart. That's, a, that's an attack. And that is so prevalent. Attack number seven. And our, our last. The attack number seven. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Now we know this one. Hebrews 10, 25, right? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Somebody said that. I just, you heard me say I saw that recently on Facebook. And then I saw a meme that said this. He said, what if that statement, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, what if that statement were put into picture form? And it, <laughs> it had a picture underneath it of uh, a pack or a herd of zebras, which I found out can be called a dazzle, a dazzle of zebras. Had a herd of zebras, and then it had in front of it, they're kind of in the background, blurred out a little bit in the background, and then right up front in the picture is this big old bad lion chasing a little zebra. And that little zebra is looking like it's about ready to bite the dust and it's going down. And they said, what if I don't have to go to church to be a Christian? We're put into picture form. That would be the picture. Your enemy, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the other zebras were in the background just standing real still, you know, like, oh, I hope he doesn't come after us. But the picture is he came after the straggler the weak one who was away from the herd. In conclusion, I want to say this. You need to be armed because we're under attack. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Is he looking at you? If he is, what are you going to do about it? Well, you've got to know that you can do something about it. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? Just what we've been talking about. Will you make up your mind this morning, right now? Will you make up your mind? Your Bible is not for decoration. It is for self-defense. And will you stay with the church and learn how to use it? You can't get it all on a Sunday morning. I want to encourage you to come back as much as you can for the other services. Come Sunday night. Sunday night's preaching mainly for Christians. 
to try to disciple Christians. Wednesday night's just a prayer meeting and some extra Bible study in the middle of the week, but the church needs prayer. The work of God needs prayer. Uh, and, and arm yourself. Because if, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been doing this for a little while now, and there are times when I, I forget. And I, I just I come under attack and temptation, and I don't handle it the way that Jesus did, you know. So, and, and when the Lord gave me this message, it was a reminder for me. And he said, tell it to the church. This, this is a message the Lord gave me. Amen. And, and uh, I want you to stand with me, if you would. And let's just bow our heads. Let's just talk to the Lord. And I'd like you to make the commitment in your heart to tell the Lord that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start standing up when I'm attacked I'm going to prepare to use the sword of the Spirit against the devil. We can, thank the, the, we can thank God for the Word of God and make a commitment today that I'm going to do it. I'm going to remember this. The next time I'm tempted, I'm going to use the sword of the Spirit and just say, Lord, would you help me to, to retain some of these things? Even just a phrase. It doesn't have to be a whole verse. Even just a phrase, a part of the Word of God, to retain it so that I can quote it back to the devil. If you can't remember it, write it down and go get your Bible and uh, quote it. Quote it to the devil. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I recognize this morning that the devil is a roaring lion, and in the Bible you call us sheep. But you've given us something that is so powerful, the Word of God. And you said if we submit to you, you're greater than the devil. And if we submit to you and resist the devil... We use the word of God like this, that he will flee from us. Lord, help us all to live for you.